You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. I'm Alan Weitz, and today we're going to be kicking off a series of unique conversations we recorded at the 2016 Eddie Adams Workshop. We're calling them Conversations from the Barn because we recorded these conversations in an impromptu studio we set up in the workshop's fabled barn near Jeffersonville, New York. Sponsored primarily by Nikon and celebrating its 29th year, the Eddie Adams Workshop is an incredible event that joins some of the world's best photojournalists and editors together with 100 up-and-coming young photographers who have the unique opportunity to work with, listen to, and gain insight from the leading photographers of our time, including 13 Pulitzer Prize winners. As much of a retreat and family reunion as a workshop, it's hard to put into words the powerful inspiration and collaborative energy that bubbles forth during the four intensive days of the workshop. But over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to present conversations with the likes of Marianne Gollan, Director of Photography at the Washington Post, National Geographic photographer Steve Winter, and Google Street View engineer Josh Weaver, which should provide an idea of the talented people that gather every October at the Eddie Adams Farm. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer John H. White and artist and educator Andia Beale. John and India sat with our producer John Harris to discuss their photographic journeys, which both began in North Carolina, and their desire to depict the communities from which they came. Along the way, they discuss how personal expression can become universal, how racial perceptions and the civil rights movement has influenced their work, and of course, the gear and techniques they have used to create the unique images. Let's pick up with our first conversation from the barn. Can I just start with the fact that you're both from North Carolina? Is there anything that that shared background brings to your work, brings to your, your daily thought process, especially after you moved to Chicago? And lived in the city and... John, I'll let wisdom go first. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that uh, North Carolina, especially that part of North Carolina, uh, provided the uh, roots and wings to my journey. Uh, it's rich soil. When I say rich soil, I mean uh, people, family, communities. Um, uh, that sort of anchor and launch to a world that uh, it's like, okay, my father always once said, whales have no business in lakes and ponds and creeks and rivers. Whales should swim in the ocean where the big fish and deep fish are. Well, no, Kalani is an ocean. And little fish, we were little fish, but we could swim in the big, with the big fish and enjoy that, the fruit of that. So I think... Uh, Realizing that uh, the world is bigger than North Carolina, hmm. not better. And I think that's part of the ingredients that has kept me. And when did you leave to go to Chicago? Or when did you leave and then how did you get to Chicago? Uh, I hitchhiked. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, I started working in Chicago in 1969, uh -huh. June 23rd, 1969, with the Chicago Daily News, mm -hmm. as a photojournalist. <laughs> I, like, I like the term photojournalist. You still refer to yourself as a photojournalist? I like to think I've elevated it down to a visual servant. Mm -hmm. 
Visual servant. Um, but the reason I ended up going to Chicago because nobody was hiring uh, black photographers, news photographers in North Carolina mm-hmm. at that time. No. I mean, 69, mm-hmm. the year after Dr. King's assassination and things. No. But I entered a, I entered a contest there. Oh, yeah? And people saw my work and, uh, uh, and, and it got the attention of judges. And it's really interesting because when one of the uh, judges called, uh, uh, one of the uh, judges, I, I met him after his speech, and he had pictures from Chicago and everything. And I said, oh, his name is Gary Sellers. Mr. Sellers, I really like your pictures, and, and I would like to take pictures like that someday. And he says, well, good. Did you enter the contest? And I said, yes. And he said, well, where are some of your images? And I told him, he says, how would you like to come to Chicago? And I was like, yeah, yeah, right, you yeah. know. And uh, so I, I, I didn't pay attention. Then I, I was bragging to some folks about, guess what? Uh, uh, and then, and then oh, sure enough, a week later, the editor of the New, uh, Chicago Daily News called me and said, we heard about you. We want you to come up and talk to us. And I said, oh, thanks. But no thanks. He said, why? I said, well, I'm, gonna, I'm doing a story. What's the story about? It's, about? it's called My People About Black Folks. He said, well, we got black folks in Chicago, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I was bragging about it. I was, got he, a call. was he a black man or a white man? No, he yeah, was white. Yeah. yeah, he was white. And uh, so I was bragging about it. I got a call from the newspaper and then when the folks I worked for, I, I was not allowed to take pictures. I was able to you know, d- develop and things like that. It's like getting a master's degree in printing, mm-hmm. a PhD in printing. But when they heard that, they, I went into the office that Monday morning, and they said, John, sit down, we want to talk to you. I said, oh, great. They won't let me start taking pictures. They said, we feel that you're not interested in our business 10 years from now, so we'll give you a two-weeks notice. And I was fired on the spot. Uh, and then I was like, oh, my God. So I called them. Chicago and try to remember the person name I talked to. And they said, uh, I said, this is John, uh, John White. He says, who? I said, John White. He says, John. I said, the black photographer in North Carolina. He says, oh, how are you? I said, I'm fired. He says, good. Get on the next plane. Oh, wow. So I started work a week later. All right. So you're, the story that you were working on that you just mentioned was about the folks you knew, the community you were in, or was it something, uh, I guess? It's called, it was called My People, Black Folks, Family Okay. Everybody, I photograph. Uh, uh, I photograph everybody that you know. And in fact, one of the sad things for me is the day I was scheduled to photograph Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in April in Charlotte, North Carolina, who was campaigning for Reginald Hawkins, Dr. Reginald Hawkins, first black to run for governor. Uh, at the last minute, they changed the doc, uh, Dr. King's trip. He was assassinated that same day. Mm. Wow. And. This is, a, I guess, a bigger question, but was the was the civil rights movement and and the, the politics of the time kind of a, a motivating factor, a driving force in in, in your in what you wanted to do? It was all, everything. Yes, it was. It was. You know, I, I, I saw that. I, mean, I I saw firsthand things. It's not something I read in a book. I saw these things, and I was a part of that. But with Dr. King's death, it was like uh, uh, unleashing the. Uh, Handcuffs of uh, of of life. Uh, I, I broke them off, and I'm gonna show our story. You can read our story, the story of our people in every library, but I'm gonna show the story of our people, and 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 to the world, and and for our people, and for all people though, mm-hmm. but for all people, and that's that's the thing, you know. It's it's, it's you know it's it's. Uh, 
my roots and my wings and my family, but uh, for everybody. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that touches on something you said yesterday, which was that you never, you couldn't believe how something so personal became so universal. Mm -hmm. And I think that was about the nine to five project mm -hmm. that you yeah. worked on. But we're talking 40 years later from John's experiences. Would you say that's a pretty fair description of what you wanted to do, trying to show the community that you came from? Um, I would say it was it was more of a progression in many ways. Um, I was blessed to have parents that uh, instilled certain leadership. My mom used to say, you're a stallion, girl. And I'm like, what is a stallion? <laughs> but she said, you're a stallion, so you need to act like a stallion. And so I would kind of go throughout life, and she said, people put their pants on just like you. So there's no reason for you to be intimidated or scared or afraid. And with that, it gave me the motivation to take those risks and not be afraid to tell those stories. And I think growing up in Winston-Salem, which I consider it, this is definitely a city, but it has its problems. Um, and I didn't realize it until I left and I came back. I mean, when I was in high school, we had two homecoming queens, Miss Black and Miss Gold. And Miss Black was white and Miss Gold was black. And it was the idea of keeping things separate but equal. And this is like 2008 when they decided to end this. So this is not something that happened a long time ago. But this it was always determined that one would be white and one would be black? It was always determined that one would be white and one would be a minority. And usually that was black. So... Uh, Latina, just she, Ms. Gold was going to be a minority, and, and it was to keep the communities happy. And so growing up in Winston, you could spend your whole life on one side of town and never go to the other side of town, and you'd still be successful. You go to college, you come back, you have a family and a career, and you've never ventured across the highway to the other side. And so coming back to Winston, uh, I found myself as an artist, but the art galleries were on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so I told my mom, I was like, I'm getting lost in my own city because I'm going to places I've never gone, and I'm talking to people I'd never spoken with before. And I think um, starting to study art history and learn about art history, I realized that there was a story that was missing. And it was my story. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in my photography class, uh, Jeff Whitestone, who's the director of photography at Princeton now. He showed me James Vanderzee. Now, mind you, I'm a junior. I just started thinking about myself as an artist, never really considered myself that. I'm just a person who liked to make things. And I was blown away. It was a woman sitting in her living room with all these flowers. And it reminded me of my grandmother's home. And I said, man, this is this is my life. Like this is this is this is what I know. And then I realized the more I studied other artists like Palmer Hayden or Archibald Motley or the Harlem Renaissance or looked at other artists like Carrie Mae Weems or Lorna Simpson, um, I just I realized that there was so much more to be added to the story. And so for me, it was just more about adding to what John White and everyone else is doing. If I could put a couple of pictures in that gallery wall, I felt like I did something. Um, so there were so many untold stories. And I think as a person of color, sometimes you don't realize that your stories are valid and important and needed to be told in the world. And so essentially, I said, these personal experiences are just so important to me. That's kind of the only way I can get them out without them kind of eating me up in the inside. So really, in all honesty, I think it was kind of a progression of just kind of seeing what was missing and, and trying to figure out how to fill those gaps. Hmm. Uh, John had mentioned something yesterday uh, about with opportunities comes the responsibility to to react to those opportunities. Um, did you feel responsibilities to to the community around you? 
The history of African-American women, specifically in photography, is still being written. So we have Latoya B. Frazier, uh, Renee Cox, Hannah Price, uh, Genevieve Gardner, a number of black female photographers who are doing amazing work. We're still writing that history. So every time I stand on the stage, I realize that, like Latoya, she said, India, you're making history now. So you have to figure out what mark you're trying to make. And so for me, it's standing on that stage and knowing that I'm representing more than myself. I'm representing... Um, African-American women photographers who are essentially telling stories now that, um, that, has been, that have been told before, but not necessarily on these platforms. I come to these events and usually there are only a couple people of color in the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke at National Geographic. I think it was three of us. It was me, my sister, and the AV guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, you know, so when you're there, it's, it's just so, it's, it's a lot of pressure. It's like, before, I play basketball. So it's like before a basketball game, you have all these butterflies and you just want to make a layup or maybe dunk it, but you just, you want to make sure you give your best. And I think I get up there and I, I feel like that's the kind of um, legacy you're trying to make and just praying that you can do it. That's all. I guess kind of a follow-up. Uh, is there, could you encapsulate uh, a goal for what you want to do with your art or is that uh, too simple? I want to be like John White. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, are the butterflies going away as you've been doing oh, this more no, and more? No, no, they get worse. They get worse? Okay. And, yeah, and maybe yeah. on a more serious note, do you... Do you feel now that, let's say you're at, at in a, more and more in a setting where you may be the only black woman or one of few in this audience, do you feel your, your desire to push forward in this uh, being diluted at all or is it still pretty focused? Um, I would say it's, it's pretty focused. Uh, you know, you give these talks and you realize that at the end of the day, we're human beings. Right. And that we're all connected. I think what John speaks about is it makes you feel so full and inspired because it talks about love. But love is a human connection. Right. So you get up there and you're talking about these experiences as a woman of color and you realize, wait a minute, you know, women who are not black are understanding men who are not black are understanding. If you feel invisible one day at your job, you get it. Right. And so you realize that everything you're saying, even though you're using your own personal experiences, I'm a woman, I am black, but I'm a human first. And I realized that in itself is invaluable. That is what connects me with everyone else in the audience and helps them understand the work. And so really, in all honesty, speaking to these kind of diverse crowds um, or lack thereof in many ways, uh, the human connection is, the, is at the forefront. Well, I, you know, I, I felt that a bit when I was watching the nine to five yesterday. And, and you know, you spoke about the universal and, and the way that we have to kind of hide ourselves a little bit to fit into the corporate structure, which is something I felt that I had to do, you know, when, and my little touches with it too, because I'm not a corporate guy by nature. And can I just refer to a couple of things you said, please? Uh, you mentioned James Vanderzees, a great, great, great photographer. Uh, I knew him and I photographed him. And I think it was in his nineties at the time. And I said, Mr. Vanderzees, what's the key to long life? Son, you want to live a long time? Be around young people. Son, you want to die young? Try to live like them. (laughs) 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 And then I thought, my mother, when she was in school in Warshaw's, South Carolina, Mary Cloud Bethune, the great Mary Cloud Bethune, visited school. And she told them, children, Get a good education so that the world can see black faces in high places. So 
we 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 run because we're running in the in the race right now and carrying the baton and things, but we don't run uh, on our wings on the wings of those who have gone before us, and so that when we pass the baton someday, we have to be farther and further and faster so that it'll continue to go. So I keep in mind clearer focus in, the, in my my in the a hard drive of my soul, uh, who I'm running for. Like one, one senior mother told me, she said, son, I gave her a ride downtown one time, and I had to scan, the scanner was on. She says, what's that? And I said, you know, scanner, you know. She said, son, never forget that uh, you didn't get there because, you got there because of us. Never forget that. And I, and I, I remember that. Uh, but it's an honor. I mean, you, you know, it, you know, taking photographs, you capture somebody in a moment. And one of the greatest joys for me is to see a life goes on in somebody because I took their picture. You're going through a parade, a community, a, a, a African-American community, and you see a grandmother there, a grandfather there, and you take a moment to talk with them and, and click. You see the light go on because... You've given them that somebodyness, and I remember, I remember one time when uh, I was with, you know, Champ was my dear friend. I was covering Champ, and I, I, I didn't realize a lot of these things until well, I make notes. But I was reading some thing, some of my notes, and and they got a word. They got a word. Okay, John White, a photographer, is coming up with Muhammad Ali today. So okay, I'm going to be flying with Champ. So like, you know, he must be somebody special, or whatever. You know what I mean? Champ's friend. He's all the way to Chicago, so I, I was reading. I was reading notes and, and, and folks were about that day, and said one person was talk, talking to me. She said uh, this was in '78, also August '78, and it said uh, we knew John White was coming up. We didn't know who John White was, but when we came, so wow, John White's a black man. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> and they were so proud because here's a black man covering a black champion. And she said, all these folks come up here and take all these pictures and make all sorts of money. None of them black. Of course, Howard Bingham was the greatest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard, you know, Howard Bingham was Muhammad Ali's photographer, the great. But the photographers that would come in there. And they were so proud. So it was like, it was, so you, 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 you're carrying this light for my people. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's something that, that fuels you to this exactly, day. Exactly, exactly. Because it's, it's sometimes it's the only time they're going to get a light. Mm. You know, when a photographer points a camera at somebody and take their picture, you're telling that person, you're important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You matter. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to them, that's the same as their importance, the president of the United States or, mm-hmm. or the Pope. Mm-hmm. And, other, and, and, and sometimes it's the only time in their lives. You know, and whether it makes the paper or whatever, you know, they don't go beyond that point. Of that is that somebody's telling my story because my story is important. Mm-hmm. Now that you, you mentioned seeing your face or a black face in a high place, we have, you know, a president in a very high place. And yet we're seeing a time right now in, in the Carol- North Carolina and Chicago, needless to say, where we're seeing as much violence as we've seen maybe ever, or, you know, not ever, but, you know, in, at least in my lifetime. Is there anything that, what, make, what, what, can, what, do you, what can you guys say about that? Or what would you like to say? Is there anything that hasn't been said 
when we see we see uh, the first black president, and yet we're at a time where maybe we're we're seeing as much division as we've seen in, in many many years. It's more important now than ever to light candles, not curse in darkness. It's more important now to to sing the songs of people. It's more important now to flick the switch of light and love into people, because the darkness there. The crime is there, the violence is there, the pain is there, and that's not going to be deleted by pushing a button or, or, or you know. And so D- Dr. King said, when well, I misquote, but darkness can't, only light can do that. Yeah. And that's why we have to light the light of love mm-hmm. through what we do, mm-hmm. what we do, how we serve, you know. Yeah. And sometimes it's, 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 not, it's not the painting, it's not the pictures, not the drawing. It's being there. I mean, all that you got because you were there. Because if we don't do it, then, you know, everybody wants somebody to know that that they're not just a, a number or a name, an object. They, they, that's how you got those moments. Right. Because you, heart to heart. Commit, right. And, and, and here, here's the thing. I may not be talking too much. But what lacks, like, what lacks is this thing called communication. Mm-hmm. Communication for everybody started in the womb. Before birth, some mother singing a song or telling stories, and when the birth of that child, then they're still communicating, and the baby learns to communicate. And this generation at this moment uh, is so caught up in so many things, there's no communication. Technology is great, and thank God for it. But it has to be a balance. And so I think if people get back to communicating with one another and listen to somebody's song mm-hmm. and respecting a person, you know, I, I, you know, once I was, we were somewhere in my father in New York, and there was this man saying, the world's coming to an end, the world's coming to an end tomorrow, things like that, and all this kind of stuff. My father's a minister, and my brother's with him. And I was there. And he said, John, you should talk to the man. Talk with the man. You know, because he thought I was going to be a journalist. So I go down and talk to the man. And I'm telling him, how do you know the world? I'm just like, and when I went back, I've never heard my father in my life curse. And he didn't curse that day. But I think if he ever cursed, he would have done it. But he said to me, when I finished talking, he said, who gives you the right to disrespect his belief? He said, I don't think the world's coming to an end. You don't either. But he does. And you have to respect that. And so you you know how you challenge him on that is his belief. You not you know you you know you don't change his belief that way. I'd love to hear how you commented about how your mother and and she kind of gave you that drive and and that belief in yourself. And here we're we're getting the idea of, I mean this is that's photojournal that's journalism one hundred and one is to, to to empathize and to not judge your subject and and that came from your father this, mm-hmm. at this moment. Yeah. Um, you've spoken about uh, the importance of giving. A print to some of the people that you photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like to. I guess I like to hear you talk about that a little bit, and and also the idea how you mentioned, which I I've always found to be the case for me, where you may get a whole bunch of no's, and then you'll get the one yes, <laughs> and then the guys that said no are all of a sudden saying yes yeah. too, right? Um, so if you could talk a bit about that, but then I'd like to hear from maybe from the the newspaper photographer who who may not be able to get a photograph to everybody, or, or did you ever make a practice of, of getting prints to people, and, and, and how else can you give? When I was listening to John, I was thinking about 
just the idea of feeling important and and showing them how I see them. Because essentially as a photographer, you have a certain degree of bias, right? You're bringing in your own kind of perspective. And for me, it was like, listen, I know the community, but I want you to see yourself in the way I see you. And so when I photographed them in, um, I was at their house every day, all day, uh, breaking bread, meeting their parents. You know, I met everyone. And so when I gave them the portrait, it was personal to me as much as it was from them. And I'll never forget my friend Kenny. He said, India, listen, I got you. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, I got your back. If you need anything, just let me know. I got you. But I realized that was all he could provide. And he said, listen, that's all I can give you. But if you need anything, I'm loyal and I'm dedicated to you. And it became more than just a photograph. It was a relationship. And he'd tape all his pictures up on the wall in his room. And it was something so beautiful and intimate about seeing all these portraits of himself in his room, on his wall. Now Kenny has graduated. When I met him, he had already dropped out of high school. We filled out FAFSA together. I let him visit Yale. We checked out the studios of black artists. He was like... This is art? I'm like, yeah. He's like, wait a minute. No, that's art. And I'm like, yeah, you're talking too loud. He's like, I can make that. I was like, shh, listen. <laughs> He's like, I need to be an artist. <laughs> so the idea is that really in all honesty, it's exposure. Yeah. To the other. Education. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're sometimes we're afraid of the unknown. We can be so educated and still be so afraid, right? And Kenny was, he'd never gone to Yale. He lived right down the street. He was on campus. He walked around. He said, man, I can do this. But sometimes that's all it is, is just seeing something different and, and realizing that these individuals are just like you. They're human. So I think really in all honesty, we think about the problems that are happening in the nation. These are not new problems, right? They've been going on forever. Now people have cell phones. They can take pictures, right? They can post it. They can create their own news. And that kind of news is so important because it gives us a different kind of reflection of what's happening in the community. But the idea is just really is just fear. Fear is one of the greatest things. We are so scared of the other. We are so scared of learning. We are so scared or we assume we assume that I know about you by looking at you. I know about a community by looking at this person. As a photographer, as an artist, our gift is to serve. But in serving, what we're doing is we're exposing certain truths. Maybe not necessarily our own bias, but the truth of the other person. That's why I said last night, it's about listening. If you listen, you'll hear something maybe you didn't expect. Because you're going to come in with your own perspective anyway. Listening changes it. It helps you understand even your own prejudice because we all have it, right? Our own stereotypes. I learned so much in just listening to the community, listening to these young men. I'll never forget I had this conversation. He said, listen, I'm ready to have kids. I was like, you're 21. <laughs> and he said, I'm ready to have kids. And I said, he's like, I'm really old. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, most of my friends had kids at like 13, 14. He said, so technically I'm old. And I said, well, when you, when you say it like that, it makes a lot of sense. But I had to step outside of my own background to understand where he was coming from. And I said, listen, the world is so much bigger than that. I want to show you it so you understand that it doesn't stop at 21. But for him and the life that he was leading within the streets, that's where life stopped, 25, 26. And it was over. It was over because you died or it was over because you were in prison. And either way, it was over. And the family structure was broken. So I think that understanding the community, understanding a system that is flawed, right, that does not service people of color in any way, 
and really saying, you know, we have some difficult conversations to have, but let's have them. And they're going to be messy. Totally. Like any conversation, like any relationship, right? It's going to be complicated, but the love that you have for that person, the love that you have for other individuals, that is what's going to help you sustain that the commitment that you have to learning about the other person, that is what's going to keep you moving forward. And I think we have to have a commitment to each other and that's what's missing a commitment to understanding, a commitment to listening, a commitment to saying, listen, we're going to have our differences and it's okay. We can still connect. We can still be people. So um, we have a long way to go, but I, and there's a lot of people who are looking beyond the struggle, right? Sometimes we get so caught up in the struggle. There are a lot of artists who are looking beyond the struggle and saying, listen, these are the solutions. I know, I see it. And that's what we have to focus on. Those people, those artists, those uh, Aaron Fowlers or Davion Austins or Terrence Nance or Chris Watts, these artists who are looking beyond the struggle and saying, you know what? There's more out here. And I think we focus on that. Things will change. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm loving what I'm hearing here. This is great. Um, So you come from more of an, let's say, an artistic, and here this is photojournalism, more or less documentary. Uh, Do you see, where do you see, where's your work going? What's the next project? What what are you working on? Do Do you feel an impulse to... I don't know, be a photojournalist now after oh. <laughs> a couple of days here or, or what's, what's next? I could never be a John White. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could. I, I bet John thinks you could too, right? Um, you know, uh, I think there's a rich relationship between photojournalism and even just photography and art. Um, I, I definitely I see my work in a way that kind of teeters the line of documentary. Um, sometimes I didn't go to art galleries growing up as a kid. And so for me, um, sometimes art can feel like insider baseball. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in the game, then you have no idea what's going on. You walk in a gallery like, what? You know? And so for me, it was about making work that spoke to the everyday people, the everyday person that can say, listen, I had a job. I felt invisible. I get it. Right. And so um, I'm hoping the work will be a book that can talk about diversity and inclusion within corporate spaces that can talk about these needs for change. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion conferences uh, across the United States, talking to career um, coaches and chief diversity officers, talking about ways in which we can change that process of interviews and the way in which people are being judged, especially at a time where jobs are limited. And so I, I want the book to be more than just a coffee table Starbucks book, right? I really want it to be kind of a, a teaching tool that you can use to educate people on differences and understanding that sometimes um, the diversity in your team is what's going to make it most valuable. And all those perspectives at the table, that is what's going to give your company or your business a better bottom line, <laughs> essentially. So uh, that's, I guess, right now is just finishing the work. I just had a Magnum Foundation grant. And so the grant allowed me to finish the Am I What You're Looking For project. And with that grant, um, new videos, but also making a book that will be published hopefully in two years. Mm. And John, other than just taking the photo, how did you find ways to to give back to your your subjects? I always tried to uh, give prints when I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get. I think if there's one regret I have in life, uh, like a couple of people I maybe promised or didn't know was able to fulfill or get back because of couldn't locate them or things like, and, and that, that bothered me. But one of, the, one of the blessings of the new technology is I see, like like at, at the airport uh, a couple of days ago, I saw this family trying, to, this mother and father taking a picture of a new uh, baby. I don't know if it's the first flight. I'm not going to assume it was. It could have been the second flight or whatever. And uh, and I saw that. And once they sat down, 
I uh, put my camera and I car on my, and I went over and I just attacked them. And I said, give me your camera. I took a picture of the family picture. And before they, got, they realized, they looked at you, yes, that's nice. What, that's, so they were, I was reaching for the camera anyway. I, could, I said it for me, show me which button to push, you know. You know, I, I knew that, but, you know. <laughs> and so I said, okay, okay. So, all right, ready? And the baby, you know, and baby, okay. And then I said, okay, now I'm going to move back so that this is show that you are in an airport. So I moved back and got a, 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 a vertical and the, and the 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 flight accountant, she saw what I was doing. I was making, getting her space, you know, got that. I said, okay, now I'm getting this. Just, this is just going to be a portrait for the baby. I'm moving <laughs> here. And I just gave it to him. And they were like, wow, this is, and I just disappeared. Yeah. And I like doing that, you know, give them that gift this time. Now, before I would give a, shoot a roller film and I would make sure I would photo, shoot, for instance, like film uh, on ASA 400, because that's what things, I always photograph on AS 800 or 1200, whatever. And once I did that, I saw this family, this large family, it was on a rest, a rest stop on the highway. And I did that again, you parachute in there. Oh, great family! Let me take a picture. Now I'm shooting already, and and you know they're smiling to get together. And okay, and then okay, I make sure. Oh, that's like that. I get a shot of each one, each one. Oh, mom, dad, mom, dad. You know, and by the time the father says, "Can can can we have? Can we get to see some of these? Can I have some of these?" And I'm running. I'm I'm winding the roll, and I says, "Absolutely not." But here's the roll of film. I only ask you to do one thing: date them. And I disappear. And to this day, they don't have any idea. They just say, here's this man came by and saw us and took a picture. But, cool. you know, those kinds of gifts, those kinds of gifts. I just want to go back to something, and, and this is, I guess, my own comment. Because when, when you said you were taking a picture of an old lady and, and the gift that you, you give by taking their picture, it, it made me think of the times when I've taken pictures of, of older folks. And uh, and they'll give you that look, and it'll be a little... Sometimes that 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 look they give you right after you take the picture... I flash back to seeing them as like a, a 13 or a 15 or a 16 year old. That that little look that some people give when their picture's taken, it's either shy or maybe a little seductive, whatever it happens to be. And I often love seeing that with old people when you take pictures of them. Well, recently I, I photographed uh, with the family as a gift uh, once, Nanny's birthday celebration party. And for a moment I thought all of her friends were 90 years old too, or older, you know. And so, and they had hats. It was like they had. It was one of the things they had to wear a hat. You know, there was like you know all these different hats and things. So I made sure I got all. But I made sure I got portraits. And I saw this one person. She was like maybe ninety nine. You know, and so I I approached them in such a way that you know I'm ready to shoot in a moment. I get the moment, but also you know there's a moment in the in the moments that it's the, the perfect moment. And I took the picture, and she said, oh, "But I never make good pictures." And I said. I showed her the picture, and she just like, boom, boom, yeah. boom. She said, will I be able to get a copy of that? I said, you'll be able to get several copies of it. <laughs> but you, you, you give them, and then some of the other, but, but, but those are things. And, and tragically, okay, I, I've had people to come to me, people <laughs> come to me, one, one person, she said, I like your pictures. And she said, uh, I don't know if I should be telling this, but she said, uh, I want you to take a picture of me. I can use for my obituary picture. And she said, because I almost like these old folks come in and they use a picture when they were in their 20s. I don't want that. And I know you took a nice picture. I said, well, uh, when, she said, when can you do it? I said, we'll do it now. She said, now? I said, yeah. yeah we will just win and get some of God's light here, you know what I mean? And, and then I showed her the picture and she was like, wow. Yeah. I said, see, 
the, the part that that you matches that that light and that creation. She's just like boom. Mm. You know? yeah. But but uh, everybody appreciates a, a picture, a good picture, you know. And I think I like to think that I didn't get a, a picture for anybody. Yeah. You got uh, emotional last night uh, during your talk, and it was at the moment when you were showing a, a series of photos of, of Muhammad Ali, uh, if I remember correctly, and then and Nelson Mandela. Can you speak about being in the car with uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, and then again in your time with Mandela? Both were my friends. My, Muhammad Ali was my, like my brother. Uh, and Mandela, one of the images there was the first picture taken in his house after he was leave, released from prison in South Africa. And, um, and we became very close. And when he died uh, December the 5th of uh, 2000. 13. The networks wanted to come by the house and do a, a thing, and and I would watch the news, but I would turn it on mute because I didn't want to hear the music. I didn't want to hear the sound, the African sound, because that's that's enrooted, in, in, innated in me. And I didn't want to hurt. I didn't want to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm an eagle. I don't cry. And uh, and so I did the interview, and and they were doing the. I was watching the news that night, and and they had these wonderful things about the journey, and then all at once they showed this picture. Um, um, Mandela and I shaking hands. And uh, there was a tsunami in my heart, my mind, I lost it. So when Champ was, uh, right before Champ died, I got this uh, 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 urgent email from one of my colleagues at a newspaper saying, you Champ, you know. And then the next, I turned the news on and then he was just dying. So, okay, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, I don't, you know. Uh, so I, uh, ABC, I mean, uh, networks and things wanted to come by and do things, and they did, and they, I went and do it, and I had archives and pictures and things like that. I'm not going to feel anything because I'm on mute. And I, I covered the funeral, covered his funeral, and people and things. No, I'm, I'm eager. Um, and then uh, I've been going through this because I'm going to put together the book on uh, Champ. No, great. You know, Wonderful. reading stuff, seeing things, you know. You know no, no. Um, but last night, uh, I felt the hurt and the pain and the loss. And uh, to be honest, even uh, I went to sleep crying last night. Uh, I don't know how much sleep I got, you know, because, you know, you think about your journey and, the, you know, you know uh, there's a thing called the, the, the sting of death, the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, are you um, were you crying for a friend or for the force of of him and his, his uh, place in no, our, no, our history? No, I always said that he was he was my friend and my brother. Uh-huh. He was my friend, and my brother, mm-hmm. and he liked hanging with me. He liked yeah. for me to hang with him. He called me main man, you know. And and then I forgot that picture of he and I on the plane was there, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I, I just felt hurt, yeah. and I still feel hurt. Well, yeah. uh, but I feel also thankful to God that I journeyed with him, and I knew him uh, for the man he was, and the, 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 the giant and the human being. And I pray now more and more that uh, I can get to do what I always want to do, is do the book, uh, Champ Forever. Is that a, your next focus, your next project? or I'm working on a, yeah. a lot of projects, but that's, that's, that's on the top of my list mm-hmm. right now. Okay. 
Well, maybe we'd just wrap up with a pretty simple B&H style question. Uh, I know you're a Nikon guy. Uh, can you speak to, well, we'll start with India first. Like when you first started this, your projects, I'm getting the sense that, you know, an expensive camera wasn't part of uh, the plan. Can you, can you speak to what you shot with and what you shoot with and how the cameras that you had uh, yeah. affected your work? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I started with my, my dad let me borrow his Pentax. Uh, it was film camera, and I, I my dad liked to take pictures. People don't normally keep photo albums, but my mother, I think, is her pride and joy. She has like 10 of them, and uh, they're filled with all these pictures that my dad took over the years of us. And so he let me... Um, uh, he said this, I'll let you borrow this. I still have it. So <laughs> I borrowed it for a long time and that's what I was shooting with. And then, uh, when I was fortunate enough at UNC Chapel Hill, they, uh, allowed us to rent four by fives. And so I switched from my 35 to my four by five and I was doing street photography with the four by five. Yeah, you mentioned that yesterday. That was great. <laughs> Which is hilarious. But, <laughs> but to be like, you know, in Southside Durham with this big camera and this black hood of your head oh, no. and like the guys who are like selling drugs like holding your film for you <laughs> and people would go home and get their baseball caps and their haircuts and they just knew there was this girl with this big equipment that was going to take a picture and I didn't know exactly what I was metering with them with my light meter you know and then uh, uh, when and we, I we, 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 did, did you go to photo school or classes in college? Yeah. Were, so okay. when I uh, tra- I was at NC State, when I transferred to NC State, I mean, I mean, North Carolina Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill, I was majoring in art history and studio art and I started taking photography courses. And so I took like the first photography course and then I took the second one and that's when they introduced the four by five. And basically they just gave it to me and said, go out and use it. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? So uh, it was, it was a really wonderful, we were, we were printing analog. So it was all, you know, in the darkroom color. Uh, I didn't know Photoshop at all. Right. So uh, when I got to Yale, I was like, do y'all have a color process? And they're like, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to have to learn Photoshop. So I don't know if anybody's gone to a Yale critique before, but it was like a crash course in Photoshop, but it was actually really easy because the things that you normally took like five hours took like, you know, 15 seconds. You're like, oh, I can take magenta out. And like, you know, so I learned Photoshop in like a semester because you didn't want your critiques to be about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm a Canon girl. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I like the 5D Mark II. Uh-huh. Normally, I, I, I heart Zeiss lenses. Uh-huh. So if you want to uh-huh. give me one for okay. a wedding present, okay. I will accept that. I'll, and, check, I'll check out your registry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, so most of the women I'm shooting with for Am I What You're Looking For is the 5D Mark II with a 35 Zeiss. Um, and so... Uh, is that a camera? Uh, the, the, the lens. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... It's, it's beautiful. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm using right now. And I usually do my videos um, with my Canon as well. And can you run us through a little bit of uh, your camera history? You want to use my Nikon for a moment? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, my history is, is simple. I, my first camera was, I owned was a bazooka yeah. bubblegum camera. Oh, that was great. That was great. Yeah. Caused 50 cents and 10 bubblegum wrappers. And um, today, and as far as I can remember... I use the Nikon. Today I have the Nikon 4. This is my... I love that Nikon love that sound. sound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I use, I use that. And the other camera I use is the uh, camera of my heart. This one in here. Oh. That's the best one. <laughs> That's the best one. <laughs> okay. So I, I don't think I'll be able to ask then my technical questions after that. <laughs> but when did you switch to digital? Did they make you? 
for the newspaper or was that a choice of yours? I don't travel around the world in this day and time. I would not go across the ocean in a prop plane. Yeah. So long before everybody was using digital, my students, my former students, kept me up to date. That's what you said about hanging out with young people, yes. right? And my first digital photograph on page one was uh, Oprah interviewing Vice President Gore. Mm. That was the first published digital photograph I had. Okay. Yeah. So I love it. I mean, I love, I love, I love the technology. I love the change, and I change with change. But what does not change, the heart. Yeah. Taking pictures with the camera, the heart, seeing and feeling, and all these other things is technology, and enhances that. It's a, a new set of nutrition for the wings and for the journey. But with a combination of my eye, my soul, my spirit, my heart, and my Nikon, it keeps me in flight. I have a question for John. We talked about some photographers. We mentioned Eli Reed, and there are others. I'm curious to know your top five. If you have a top five photographers that you that you love, or maybe like three that have inspired you to make you, your you're, work. You're among those three. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and and I'm excited curious. for you. I'm, I'm happy for you, and I'm so excited for the world that you're serving. I mean, you're like the new telescope that's going to replace the Hubbard. <laughs> you see, you, you, you have wings, and you have the technology, and you have, you have all the ingredients to fly high and further. You have the intellect. You have the spirit. Uh, you know, you're, you're soaring up there with my, my heroes. I appreciate that, definitely. And being here at Barnstorm is, uh, is another thing that I have to really be careful about because I always say Tin Man has no heart, but uh, I've been coming here for a long time. I was a team leader, the first digital team, and I've been a team leader for 16 years, and I don't know how many other years after that. And I've seen them all, uh, you know, all the giants in photography, and we sit around and talk, and, and they're gone. And then I know that someday people say, well, John Mike was there, and he's gone. But what they've done is forever. Now, I hope that what I do will leave a flicker of light that will help keep somebody in flight. Mm-hmm. But no, you're, you're one of my heroes. And, and I have to be honest, you know, I, I, I love you. I love what you're doing. And it's a bonus because you're a sister. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, guys, please. It's wonderful. Boy, talk about a good way to start off a series. Thank you to John in India, as well as to Alyssa Adams and Miriam Evers of the Eddie Adams Workshop. And as always, thanks to John Harris and Jason Tables and to our listeners whose feedback and comments help guide our show. We can be reached on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag BHPhotoPodcast or feel free to email us at podcast at BHPhoto.com. My name is Alan Weitz, and as always, thank you so much for joining us today.